0: Ladies and gentlemen, a very warm welcome to Torah Studies. This week, our Torah portion is Truma. And in this week's Torah portion, we read about the Great Building Campaign. This is the first Jewish capital campaign in history, but certainly not the last. It reminds me of the story where the rabbi announces the building campaign, and he says to the community, ladies and gentlemen, so excited to, to launch this project, this building for the community, for the future, you know, the whole, uh, the whole, the whole spiel. And then the rabbi said, and everyone's, oh, everyone's so impressed. And then the rabbi talks about, um, you know, the costs and how much it's going to run. And the rabbi says, and the good news is, we have the money. Then he says, the bad news is, it's in your pockets. Anyway, that's, that's the joke that said.
1: <laughs>
0: it's a classic. It's a classic. It's an oldie but a goodie. So the first time, the first time we find, the first time we find a building campaign is indeed in this week's Parsha. Let's give the context. I'm sure I don't need to, but you know me. I love context. You just got to know where we are. I don't want to start in the middle somewhere. All right. Let's start from the beginning. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Okay, we can fast forward a little bit. So we read about the Exodus. We read about the splitting of the sea, the giving of the Torah at Sinai. And now the Jewish people are a nation, not just a band of brothers and sisters, not just a family, you know, the children of Israel, which they are often called in Torah, B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel. They are now Am Yisrael, the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation, and they have a mission, right? They have a calling. They have Ten Commandments. They got tablets before that was a thing, right? Before Steve Jobs, the Jewish ancient Israelites, they had tablets. And that was their mission. And then God says one more thing. But wait, you think you have your freedom, your identity, your marching orders? Wait, slow down, cowboys. You got one more thing, and that is build me a home, build me a mikdash, build me a sanctuary, and I will dwell there. To quote the famous holy text, the famous source, Field of Dreams, build it, and I will come. Right? Remember that line? Build it and I will come? There you go. Hashem says, God says, build it, and I'll be there. So that's the opening of our parasha. And... As the parsha opens, we're going to see that Hashem tells Moshe, look, here's what we need. These are the items we need in order to build this. We're gonna need gold and silver and copper, and that's just for the for the for the Olympic medals. That was a joke. Right? So we need the gold, the silver, the copper, the tapestries, this you can't listen. You gotta you, you gotta know when to listen seriously and when to you know take it with a grain of salt. So God lists, lists a, a list of 13 items that are needed for the building of this, uh, of this Mishkan, of this tabernacle, this portable sanctuary, portable temple. And then describes, as the Torah portion rolls on, the Torah. Uh, God describes to Moses exactly what should be built, how it should be built, out of what it should be built, how big it should be built, the exact dimensions, the exact details down to the decorations of all the items, the classic items. Enjoying uh, supper? A little late? Okay. So it, so exact details about the ark and the menorah and the, and the showbread table and the altar, all the details are described in the Torah portion. Good. We're going we're gonna to open up the conversation by jumping into text 1 and reading the opening verses from our Torah portion. And then I'm going to share with you a midrash that will absolutely confound us, you and I. It will seem so bizarre and out of left field, we are not gonna know what to do with it. But you didn't come here to not know what to do with stuff. You came here to know what to do with stuff. So by the end of tonight, you and I, oh yeah, we're going to know what to do with this midrash. We're going to understand it. It's going to make perfect sense. It's going to be the greatest thing since, since sliced bread. Is that a thing? Is that a statement? Yeah. You like sliced bread? No. All right. Why not? Let's jump in to text one. I'm sharing my screen with you because sharing is. Sharing is? Caring. caring. There you go. All right, Uh, here we go. Sharing, sharing, caring, caring. Text one, Exodus 25. Let me make this larger so we can all read without zooming into our screens. Let the screen zoom to us.
1: Screen.
0: The screen. This is the screen. Here we go. Um, Adina Malka, you are first on the board, if you don't mind unmuting and reading. You got it.
2: God spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and have them take from me an offering. From every person whose heart inspires them to generosity, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering that you shall take from them, gold, silver, and copper, blue, purple, and crimson wool, linen, and goat hair, ram skins dyed red, topsy skins, and acacia wood, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil, and for the incense.
0: Continue, please, on the next page.
2: Sh- show mom stones and filling stones for the ephod and for the potion. And they shall make me a sanctuary, and I will dwell in their midst. According to all that I show you, the pattern of the Mishkan and the pattern of all its vessels, and so shall you do.
0: Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, in short, text 1A, which is the opening nine verses of our Parsha, is God's command to Moses of what to tell the people to donate for the construction of what we know in Hebrew as the Mishkan, a.k.a. the portable temple, the portable sanctuary. And there are 13 items, right? We're not going to read them all again, but it starts with gold, silver, copper. It's got um, fabrics and wool and animal skins and oil and spices and all, and and then jewels and gems for the breastplate of the high priest, all that stuff, all right. And then God says, what's all this for? For the sanctuary that you shall build. Seems pretty straightforward. I want to share with you actually one other insight um, before we move on. This is not directly necessarily related to the direction of today's class, but something that I feel inspired to share. Um, and that is, if you notice, the commandment is in the Hebrew, I'm going to uh, point out the Hebrew, it's V'yichuli Truma. V'yichuli means, and you shall take, you shall take for me an offering, or have them take for me an offering. Now, this is something I pointed out. Um, in previous uh, instances in studying this Torah portion, the commentaries mention that it should have said, give an offering. Why take an offering? Take from me an offering. It's, a, it's an awkward expression. Why viyichu? And our, the commentaries explain that the message is that when we give, we actually receive more than we give. So giving is actually taking because it, 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 it benefits the giver Eaten even, in an even greater way. It's interesting, there's a verse, unesano, or unetano, which means, and they shall give. And the word, I forgot the word in English, a word that you could read forward and backward. What is that called? Who knows the gra- grammatical term for that? Palindrome. A palindrome, yes. So a word that you can read forward and backward. And the word forgiving also is a word that could be read the same in Hebrew, forward and backward. For example, the name Natan, which means give, Natan. My oldest son, his name is Natan, or Nasan, as we say in Ashkenazi pronunciation. Nun, tough, nun. You can read it forward and backwards the same way. And the commentaries point out it's the same message, that when we give one direction, it comes back the other direction, right? You can read it both ways. When we give, we get. It's that cycle. Just wanted to point that out as we open it. But what I really want to get to as far as the direction of this class is the Midrash that I have mentioned, that I mentioned before, that will astonish and puzzle us. So let's jump right in. I'm going to share my screen and let's pull up text number, text number two. Take a look at this Midrash, Tanchuma, Parshas Truma. Um... I want to set this up before, before we, before we, um, before we, uh, before we read this. Let me set this up. The midrash is explaining that there is a comparison. There's a correlation, a connection between some items that were donated and Jewish history. It's going to focus on four of the thirteen items: the gold, the silver, the copper, and the red dyed ram skins. And it's going to compare. These four items, four of the 13, gold, silver, copper, and red-dyed ramskins, to the four nations that have exiled and um, persecuted the Jewish people throughout history. Let's, Before we ask the questions, let's read this inside. Again, Midrash Tan on our Torah portion. Let's do this. Donna, please read text number two where it says the gold.
1: The gold used in the tabernacle corresponds to the kingdom of Babylonia, of which the verse states, you are the head of gold. The silver corresponds to the kingdom of Media, Persia, as the verse states. If it pleases the king, let it be written to destroy them. And I will weigh out 10,000 silver talents. The copper corresponds to the kingdom of Greece, as it was the least powerful of them all and the red-dyed ramskins correspond to the kingdom of Edom, as the verse states, and the first one emerged reddish. God said, Though you witness four kingdoms boastfully dominating you, I will sow salvation for you from the midst of your servitude.
0: Perfect. Thank you. Let me explain and let me break this down, and then we're going to ask some major questions. All right. First of all, Let's understand what the Midrash is doing. Let me explain one more time. The Midrash is correlating, is comparing four of the items that were donated or that were requested to be donated for the building of the tabernacle to the four primary kingdoms, empires, that exiled and persecuted the Jewish people. Let's go through them one at a time. The gold. The Midrash says the gold corresponds to Babylonia. Who were the Babylonians? after 850 years after 850 years of jewish sovereignty in the land of israel from the time that the jewish people went into from the time the jewish people went into the land of israel with joshua 850 years of unbroken sovereignty they had prophets and they had they had judges and they had kings And life was grand for nearly a thousand years. And then the Babylonian Empire rose, led by the evil king Nebuchadnezzar, who was ruthless and who was tyrannical. And he had one agenda vis-a-vis Israel and the Jewish people, and that was exile or dominate and exile. He exiled the Jewish people, slowly but surely from the north to the south, and then took away tribes, whole tribes and sections of Israel in chains, exiling them, sending them around in various places, and then ultimately destroyed the first temple. This is the first exile, and there's a verse, I believe it's from the book of Daniel, that compares the strength of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire to gold. So again, the midrash says that when the Torah describes when God commands to donate gold, it's a, it's a, it's an illusion. It's a reference. It's a hidden reference to the emergence and the rise of the Babylonian Empire. And then you have, and then you have the next item. After the gold is donated, you have the silver. And what does the silver correspond to? The silver corresponds to the next empire, which is the Persian Empire. Media, Persia, not today's media, that's something else. Paras Umadai, Persia and media. Let's just call it for for, for simplicity's sake, we'll just call it the Persian Empire. Just to give you a little bit of history, the Babylonians were a massive empire. It wasn't just about Israel. They had entire swaths of land in the area, including conquering Israel and, and, and destroying the temple. The Jews were exiled for decades, total of 70 years. But about 50 years into the exile, the Babylonian exile, the Babylonian empire was taken over by the Persian empire. The Persian and media and media, uh, I guess Median Empire, Persia and Media, the Pers, which is called the Persian Empire, and we know this because this holiday is coming up, right? The holiday of Purim. It was at that time, at that time that the Jewish people were exiled between the first and second temples, that a king arose, a Persian king, and his name was Achashverosh. In English, don't ask me how to pronounce it. I have no idea. It looks like Ahasueros or something like that. I don't know, but Achashveros is his name Ahasueros. in yeah Gazuntite. Anyway, no, I, listen. It's uh, it's uh, it's easier for me to say it in the Hebrew Achashveros. So we have we have um, Achashveros rising to power, and Haman is the advisor, and we know the whole story. Meanwhile, that was the empire that was ruling the Middle East, and Judea at that time. Again, the temple was destroyed and the Jews had been exiled, but that was the ruling and governing party. Of course, Queen Esther becomes the queen, and then she and Ahashverosh have a child. And according to our tradition, at least, it was Ahashverosh's son. I believe he was Darius II, who, according to our tradition, was Queen Esther's son, right? A nice Jewish boy who became ultimately the king of the Persian Empire, who allowed the Jews, right, not such a shock, who allowed the Jews to return from the exile and to rebuild the second temple. That is the second empire, the Persian Empire that ruled over the Jewish people for a few decades when they were in exile, but ultimately allowed the Jews to return. Then we have the rise of the Greek Empire, Oh, now that, that's silver. Sorry, that's associated with silver. Why is that silver? Right, gold, silver. Why silver? Because in the Purim story, Haman, a.k.a. Haman, asked Ahasuerus to destroy, God forbid, the Jewish people. And he says, and I'll give you silver. All right, so silver is a reference to the Persian Empire that had in its sights to, God forbid, destroy the Jewish people. So that's silver and, and Persia. Then you have copper. And I love how the midrash is dismissive. Copper, yeah, it's the Greek Empire. Yeah, because they weren't so strong. I love that. Um, a little, uh, little Greek diss. So, what's going on with the, with the Greeks? The Greeks were not the mightiest of the empires, they weren't strong and brutal. They weren't strong and brutal. The, the, the Greeks were more about philosophy, a way of life. By the way, if you're wondering, well, when, when did the Greeks antagonize us? May I remind you about the story of Hanukkah, right? So story of Chanukah happens during the times of the Second Temple. We move on in history. Now the Second Temple is built. So the middle period of the Second Temple, which lasted about 400 years, so smack dab in the middle at this point, it's the Greek Empire. That is the ruling empire in the area. And the Greeks have it in their minds to Hellenize Everybody. Again, not necessarily to destroy everybody, but to Hellenize, to secularize, to philosophize everybody, and take away the spirituality, etc. Cue up all the Hanukkah themes that we love talking about. Anyway, what's the point? The point is that is the third empire that seeks to harm, either physically, spiritually, or otherwise, the Jewish people. That is the Greek empire. They are likened to bronze. Why? Because as the Medjur says, um... Sorry, copper, not bronze. Copper, why? Because it's the least powerful of them all. Just like copper is the least expensive of the various metals, gold and silver, copper is, is third rate, so the Greeks, they weren't so strong. Anyway, that's a nice, uh, I don't know, nice, but a bit, a bit of a dismissive way of describing it. Then we have the final point is the red-dyed um, ramskins, and that corresponds to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is... The empire that took over from the Greek Empire and ultimately destroyed the Holy Temple, the Second Holy Temple, in the year 69 of the Common Era. So it's the Romans that went ahead and just not raised the temple, um, killed millions of Jews at the time, literally millions of Jews, and um, and we're still in that exile. And not, we have not had another temple. And everything that's happened since is all as a result of that exile. So, in our tradition, we are still in Galus Bava. We're still, no, sorry, we're still in Galut Edom. We're still in the Roman exile. It's called Edom. Edom was from the family of Asa or Esau. It's from the family Esau's son or one of them the, from the mishpacha is Edom, and Edom is the father of Rome and the Roman Empire. The family tree, we can discuss another time in another class to go through all of that. The point is, that's the connection. We are still in the Roman exile to this day. Galut Edom. And why is that connected with the red-dyed ramskins? You guessed it, Isa, Isa was born hairy and red. Hairy and red. There's the connection. So this magic is telling us that the four items, four of the items donated for the Mishkan correspond to four evil empires. And you're probably wondering the same question that I'm wondering, the same question that the Rebbe wonders, which is, what? (laughs) What is that? That four items donated to build the Mishkan? To build the, the tabernacle? corresponds somehow to four evil empires that are the antagonists to the Jewish people that have harmed us, that have tried to harm us severely, even worse than they actually have over the years, over the, the, the millennia? How in the world is that represented, or why would that be represented by, four items donated to the Mishkan? Let me amp up the question, and you may be thinking this right now. Think about it. What was the aim of at least two of these empires? The Babylonian and the Roman. Forget their aim. What did they actually do? Unmute yourself. Tell me, what did the Babylonians do? And what did the Romans do? Let's go. Unmute. What did they actually do?
1: They sacked the temple
3: and carried the Jews off into captivity.
0: Right. They destroyed the temple. So you're telling me that you're building the temple, you're building the first temple with ingredients, with items, that correspond to the empires that destroyed it? It's, it just it like, it, it hurts the mind to understand what in the world the madras is saying. It's not my question. It's probably your question. It's definitely the Rebbe's question. Let's share the text and jump in to see how the Rebbe articulates this query. Um, Dr. Maxi, please, if you'll read text number three, here's the question.
3: It is baffling. What do the four kingdoms have to do with the donations for the tabernacle? Moreover, the four kingdoms precipitated the four exiles and the destruction of the temple, the very opposite of the donations which were intended to build the tabernacle.
0: Right? So think about it. It's, number one, what's the connection? Just like it's a random, you know, connection. What's the the real connection? Number one. And number two... It's the opposite. It's not only not connected, it's actually the opposite. One's about building the temple, one's destroying the temple, or the, right? One, one's building the tabernacle, one's destroying the temple. All four kingdoms play a role. The Babylonian Empire is the first one. They actually destroyed the first temple. The Persian Empire wanted to, exa- wanted to God forbid, destroy the Jewish people. It's only because of the miracle, we have the story of Purim, and that miracle, that it didn't happen. Haley. But, but that was their goal, to destroy. And then you have the Greeks, who also wanted to destroy Judaism, and were not successful. We have the holiday of Hanukkah. And then the Romans did destroy the second temple. All were bent on Jewish destruction, spiritually and physically, or a combination of those two. So what's the deal? How, why is there a connection here between the four kingdoms of doom, right, the four evil kingdoms of doom, and the building of the tabernacle? All right, let me check in, make sure that everything makes sense. I want to make sure that the um, question makes sense, the ideas make sense. Any questions, comments thus far? David, go ahead.
4: So I know there are other um, analogies elsewhere about the four kingdoms. I don't recall exactly which ones that I recall, but they were actually four distinct analogies that I've never given, whereas here, we're picking and choosing four out of a number of different donations, and I don't know if we're forcing the issue.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. It seems a little bit forced, right? There's 13 items, and we're cherry-picking four of them. Oh, hey, four out of 13 correspond randomly, it seems, to four kingdoms because we found the word association, gold and gold and silver and silver, and... Copper, yeah, whatever, you know, second-rate empire action. And then the last one read, Edom, Ace of the, the Ancestor of, I agree with you. And it's not, all, it's not a clean, it's not a tight um, correspondence of four and four. It's like 13 and four. Yeah.
4: Is it, is it the four sides of the dreidel that I'm thinking of?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is, there, there is a... Only
4: have, there you have only four.
0: Right, right. Unless you count the center point. Aha. But I, I I don't I don't mean to spin your uh, spin what you're saying, um, oh I'm here all night um, or all week. Oh no, I got a thumbs down from Medina Maka. All right, I got to make it up to you. We got to get a good one. So yes, it says the four sides of the trade correspond to the four kingdoms. Um, look, there are other there are other allusions to the four kingdoms, in. Um, even in scripture and in Midrashic sources, and it's, you know, it's, it's, there are lots of references. This seems a little random, and it also seems a little bit, I don't know, like it doesn't really fit. <laughs> we're talking about building the temple. How does that refer to destroying the temple? It just doesn't, it doesn't seem to fit. All right, so to understand this, right, we, we're gonna look at some more ideas. We're gonna really go back to text one and focus on a detail that we completely glossed over. Well, at least for me, it was intentional because (laughs) now we're going to mention it. But there's one little detail, really three details, that we sort of just, you know, think about ice skating. We just slid, skated over. And now, like the ice skaters do, or at least hockey players, we're going to turn sideways and create that, little snow thing, which I don't know what it's called when you do that. And we're going to stop and pause and check out the details. I'm going to share with you text one, and I want to point out a few things, three things to be precise, and let's explore. Here we go. Sharing screen, I'm going to go back, 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 back. Here we go. Opening commandment, opening verses of our Torah portion. I'm going to read this. God spoke to Moses saying, all right, so far, so good. Speak to the children of Israel and have them take from me an offering. You know what? You know how like college kids or whatever, or maybe not only college kids, you have drinking games. Every time somebody mentions a word, you have to take a shot. You know that? You know that concept? You know every time? Okay, here's what we're going to do, right? It's not a drinking game, right? We're not saying Lechaim tonight, but the game is like this. Every time I say the word offering, you have to hold up one finger And then the next time, two fingers. And the next time, three fingers. And if there's more and more, but okay. Uh, Let's do this back inside. Speak to the children of Israel and have them take from me an offering. From every person whose heart inspires him to generosity, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering that you shall take from them, gold, silver, copper, etc. Three... Times we find the word offering. Now, in the original, obviously, it doesn't say offering. The word is truma, which is the name of our Torah portion, truma. So it says, v'yicholi truma. It says, tichu es trumasi, or trumati, and it says, v'zot truma. So truma, trumati, and truma. Three times it says a version of the word truma, which means an offering. This inspires our sages to point out that when it came to the, the contributions, the donations for the Mishkan, there were actually three distinct categories of donations. If you just read the verses and, and we don't pay attention, it might seem like there was just one campaign. There were three different campaigns, three distinct Donations. Let's go through them one at a time. Number one. And by the way, this is not rabbinic. It's biblical in origin. The rabbis point out, though, that that it's hinted in the three words of truma that are found at the beginning of this week's Torah portion, known as truma. So the fact that it says it three times alludes or hints to the three donations, contributions that were made, but that are found elsewhere in Torah. But let's bring all the ideas together. Donation number one, contribution number one, was a mandatory half shekel donation. Raise your hand if you've heard about the half shekel donation before. Half shekel donation, all right. So donation number one is the half shekel donation. What was the half shekel? The half shekel, by the way, was a silver coin. What was it used for? Simple. The half shekels were collected, the silver coins were gathered, They were melted down, and from the silver half shekels, they made silver sockets. Pure silver sockets that the boards, the walls, the boards of the Mishkan, made of acacia wood that had pegs at the bottom, they would stick, the pegs would stick into the sockets, and the sockets that were heavy, pure silver sockets, would hold up these boards so that they wouldn't topple over. I probably should mention very quickly that the Mishkan was a portable sanctuary. It was not built of stone or brick. It was portable. They traveled with it throughout the desert for 40 years. And even when they went into Israel, they took it with them for for a while. So it was something that could be assembled and disassembled with ease. So they had boards, boards that were about 15 feet high and about two and a half feet wide. And they had pegs at the bottom, and it would fit into these sockets. So the first donation, the first donation was silver half-shekel coins that they used for the sockets for the boards. Donation number one. Donation number two was also a half a shekel. You with me on this? There were two half-shekels. And you might ask, could I just give a whole shekel? No, you can't give a whole shekel. You got to give two half-shekels. So one half shekel was for the adonim, the sockets. The second half shekel was for the Carbon tzibar, the public offerings. Let me explain. Every single day, the Torah will describe this next book in Leviticus, every single day there were offerings, animal offerings brought on behalf of the entire nation. Every holiday there were offerings brought on behalf of The entire nation. Every Shabbat, there were offerings brought on behalf of the entire nation. These included animal offerings, flower offerings, incense offerings. It included the whole deal. Simple question. Who paid for it? Who paid for it? Where'd they get the money? Who paid for it? The answer is, once a year, they collected a half a shekel from everybody, and that was for the whole year. That was it. Once a year, half-shekel campaign. Everyone gave a half-shekel, and that was it. They had, they had the money. They, had, they put it in the, in the treasury, and they used it for the whole year for the Karbanot the Sibur, the public offerings, the communal offerings. That was the second. So let me just clarify something. The first half-shekel offering that was used, or donation that was used for the sockets, was only done once in history. Are you with me? They only needed to make the sockets once. The second half shekel, which was for the, for the offerings of that year, it was done, how often? Well, I just said, right? That annual offering, that annual contribution was done annually. Every single year, everyone gave a half a shekel. By the way, that's why we read on Shabbat, Shkolen. we read the section about the shekel last Shabbat. We read at the end of the Torah portion, we read a section about giving the half a shekel. Because when was the half shekel collected and donated? This time of year. When the temple was standing, when the Mishkan was standing, when the temple was standing, they would collect the half a shekel this time of year. Between Nissan, right before Passover, they would collect the half shekel for the whole year. That's the second offering. The third offering was... Everything else. The gold, the silver, the copper, the crimson wool, all, all of the other stuff that we read in text 1, the 13 items, that was level or cat the third type of contribution. So again, to clarify, contribution number 1 was a half a shekel for the sockets. Contribution number 2 was a half a shekel for the public, offer, for communal offerings. Contribution number 3, all of the other stuff that they needed to build a mishkan. Make sense? Yes? Yes? Sort of, yes? All right, good. Excellent. Take a look. Everything that I just said is found in Rashi. All right, let's take a look at Rashi. This is text number four. David. Will you please read text number four, You Shall Take My Offering?
4: You shall take my offering. Our rabbi said the word to offering is mentioned three times, indicating that three offerings are mentioned here. One is the offering of a half shekel per head from which they made the sockets. Another is the offering of a half shekel yeah. per head for the community coffers from which to purchase the communal sac- sacrifices. And another is the offering for the tabernacle each individual's donation. The 13 materials mentioned in the section were all required for the work of the Mishkan or for the garments of the priests, as you will find when they study them closely.
0: Perfect, so we have three categories, one for the sockets, one for the communal coffers for the, uh, for the offerings, and the third is to actually build the tabernacle, the actual Mishkan, and all the garments. And all of that came from the 13 items Rashi says, just go through it, go through these Torah portions, and you'll see how all these materials that were requested were ultimately used in the construction of the various vessels and in the weaving of the garments. Great. Perfect. Let's go deeper. There's a beautiful connection between these three offerings, these three contributions, and the three pillars upon which the world stands. You see, understood in a more mystical view, these three contributions were not just needed once upon a time when building the Mishkan, right? Uh, 3,300 years ago, God told Moses to collect these three donations, these three contributions. No, these, if it's in Torah, Torah is timeless, which means that each one of us as we build our lives to be a temple, to be a space for God, we create space for God in our lives, we too have to give all three types of donations, all three types of offerings of ourselves to build a home for God. So what are these three types of offerings? What are these three types of service, so to speak, that we we give to build a home for God in our own lives? Take a look at what it says in Pirkei vote ethics of our, or ethics of the fathers. Karen, it is great to have you live from Maine. Please unmute if you can. Yes, and read Text 5.
3: Shimon the Righteous was among the last surviving members of the Great Assembly. He would say the world stands on three things, Torah, the service of God, and kind deeds.
0: Perfect. Thank you. The world stands. There are three pillars that support the world. Three things that make the world go round spiritually. And what are these three things? Number one, Torah. Torah study. Number two, service of God. What does that mean, service of God? It means, essentially, prayer. Prayer and the sacrificial service in the times of the temple. It means serving God. And the third category are... Mitzvot, kind deeds, tzedakah, other kind deeds, good deeds. But generally, that refers to the mitzvot that we do. So, what's the connection between these three things and the three offerings of the Mishkan? They're perfectly connected. They're perfectly connected. Think about it. What was the first? What was the first half shekel used for? Unmute yourself and tell me what was the first half shekel used for. Remember the sockets the sockets the, sockets. the yeah. sockets good the sockets are the foundation what's the foundation of everything torah study because without torah study we don't know what to do right how, how do you do a mitzvah if you don't know first you have to know and then you can do you can't know before you do sorry you can't you can't you can't do before you know you got to know what to do before you do it so torah is the foundation are the sockets if you will of the rest of Judaism. So the contribution of the sockets, again, we're, we're understanding just to process, right? To understand the process here. We're comparing the three contributions of the ancient temple to the three things that we need to give in order to build our lives in a spiritual way, right? To support the spiritual nature of the world. So we have three donations. You got to give your half shekel for the sockets. What does that mean? Study Torah. You got to build your foundation. Number two, you have to give a half shekel for the offerings. What does that mean? You got to offer yourself in prayer, right? Prayer is that inner service, that inner worship, that emotional and spiritual connection with God. That's like the communal offerings. And the third category, which is the rest of the stuff, the gold, the silver, the copper, to build the ark and the menorah, all the physical things, all the physical materials that we use for all the physical items. That refers to the third category of our spiritual service, which is, you guessed it, mitzvah observance. Why? Because like the 13 items donated in the mishkan, the mitzvah that we do also involve physical items. We give charity with coins and paper, right? And now digital, Bitcoin, why not? Right? You give... For all those cryptocurrency fans out there, you you light Shabbat candles with a candle or with oil. You wrapped fillin with leather straps, you wear a talent made from wool. You see the connection. Just like they needed gold, silver, copper, wool, animal skins to build a Mishkan, we do mitzvot using all of these items from the world, from the natural universe as well. So let me just clearly state the connection: three donations. Back in the day, three forms of connection with God today. Number one, build your socket, study Torah. Number two, offer, purchase your offerings, i.e. offer yourself to God in prayer. And number three, we need items to build an edifice for God. That means utilizing the world in the performance of mitzvot. I'm going to share this reading with you from the Rebbe's Insights, that make this connection clearly in text number six. Here we go. I'm going to read this. The first step to serving God is the pillar of Torah. Every facet of Judaism and the mitzvot have their source in the Torah alluded to by the donation for the sockets, the foundation of the tabernacle. Torah equals sockets, foundation. As for the half-shekel donations used to purchase communal offerings, they represent the pillar of avoda service. Namely, the sacrificial services. Obviously, those are the communal offerings. But in the present day, it refers to the service of prayer. That's our second donation. And number three, the donations of various materials used in the tabernacles, construction, gold, silver, copper, etc. represent the performance of the various mitzvot which are fulfilled with various physical materials, such as gold, you know, money, whatever, and which generally are embodied by deeds of kindness, for kind deeds are considered the embodiment of the mitzvot. So, three donations, three contributions, three pillars, three primary modalities of connecting with God, prayer, sorry, Torah study, prayer, and good deeds. And now I want to ask you the SAT question that we all love. Maybe it's not SAT question. Maybe it's a little too... I don't know. Too... um, Maybe for younger grades. You know they used to give you a bunch of things and you had to choose which thing is not like the others? Yeah? Like which is dissimilar? So I'm going to give you three things. And you're going to tell me which one is not a match. And you're going to tell me why it doesn't fit with the other two. You ready? I'm going to give you three items. Tell me which one is different than the others. You already know which three they are, right? Torah study, prayer, and doing mitzvot. Right? Three pillars, but two are similar and one is dissimilar. Tell me which one is dissimilar and why. That's the kicker. Again, your three choices are Torah study, prayer, and mitzvah performance. Go. Open mic. Jump in. Someone tell me. Which one?
1: Um, which one is similar?
0: Which um, one is dissimilar? I
1: think the, the third one is dissimilar one.
0: Tell me why. Hold on. Well, why? Because,
1: yes. Uh, yeah, because um, the first two you could actually, if you wanted to, do it alone.
0: Ah, oh, beautiful. Yes. Good. Let me let's let's explore that for a moment. The f- Excellent. The first two are inside your own space. The first two are more introverted, so to speak, whereas the third is more extroverted. Let me explain. Torah study, I mean, look, we're studying together, right? And that's a beautiful thing. But Torah study is Torah going into our heads. Prayer is us working on refining our own character. But a mitzvah is taking... A piece of the natural world, and 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 using, utilizing something for a mitzvah. It's not about me knowing something or me feeling something. It's wrapping leather straps around my arm. It's lighting a candle on Hanukkah, right? It's taking a piece of challah, a of dough off my, uh, well, separating challah from my dough, right? <laughs> giving tzedakah. This is this is what it is. Right. It is doing something in the natural world, doing something of the natural world outside myself. So whereas the first two pillars, contributions, whatever you want to call them, are internal dynamics, the third is an external dynamic by its very nature. So Torah study is about refining the mind, clarifying the mind. Prayer is about refining the heart, refining our character. And mitzvot, elevating the world around us to also be for a holy purpose, right? Otherwise, that chunk of metal would have no connection with God other than the fact that God created it. But it doesn't obviously reflect its creator. When I use it for a mitzvah, I declare this chunk of metal is not just a random chunk of metal, a space junk. This is a chunk of metal. That, by the way, if you have space chunk, let me know. I know a guy, right? This chunk of metal is a medium, right? Not a seance medium. This is a, hunk of, this is a chunk of metal that is a medium for divine, the, the fulfillment of, of the divine will in this world. So when I do a mitzvah, it's not about me as much as it is about me elevating the world around me by utilizing the stuff for a higher purpose. So, prayer and Torah study is for me. It could also be for others, but it's also for me. Whereas a mitzvah is essentially for for the other, or for the world. I'll ask you a question. So, which one is higher? Which one is greater? Which one is grander? Which one is more lofty? Is it the Torah study? Is it the prayer? Or is it the mitzvah observance? Which one do you think is the highest? Mitzvah. The mitzvah. You got it right. Because as incredible as Torah study is for our minds and as incredible prayer is for our hearts and our characters, at the end of the day, all of that is about self-elevation and self-perfection, which is important and it's laudable and it's necessary, but that's not why we're here. We're not here to become elevated. We're here on a mission to elevate the world around us. How do I know this? Well, I happen to know this because that's what it says in the book of Tanya. We're going to jump into this. Text number 10. This is what the mystics tell us. And that's my story. And that's what, and I'm sticking to it. I didn't say that so cleanly, but that's what I meant. All right. We're skipping some texts. Let's jump to text number eight. Chapter 36, two times high of Tanya. This is beautiful. Take a look. We know from our sages that the purpose behind the creation of this world is God's desire for a home in the lowest realms. Thus, this tangibly physical world was created. It is the lowest realm. There is no place where God is so hidden, that is so dark, full of klipot, that literally oppose God declaring, I and nothing else exist. There is no other realm that is so dark, that is so obscuring to the truth. There is no other realm in existence that declares utterly and unequivocally, I am and there is no God. Only our realm does so. And you know what the point of this is? Why would God create a realm that denies his own existence? Why? For us to pull back the curtain and reveal the truth. That is the opening line of this reading. The purpose behind the creation of this lowly, obscuring, concealing world is God's desire for a home in the lowest realms built by us. Like the Baal Shem Tov said, life is a game of hide and seek. We do it with kids, right? We do it with our kids. It's a playground. The kids love doing this hide and seek. My kids love it. It's a favorite Shabbat afternoon. I mean, it's not even, I'm looking around. There's not a lot of place to hide. And yet... They are all thrilled for hide-and-seek. It is the, oh, they get a kick out of it. It is unbelievable. I, 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 it's, 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 it. The Baal Shem Tov said hide-and-seek is a holy game because it reflects the nature and purpose of this world. God is the creator, but God hides in our world. And our job, we're the ones counting and then finding Okay, maybe we don't need to count. We've already counted enough. Our job is to find God. And we seek and find God behind the most, you know, behind, in the funniest places. In the most, you know, far-fetched places. By the way, when do we do that? When we pray? When we study Torah? Or when we do a mitzvah? When we do a mitzvah, right? When we do a mitzvah. That's when we elevate the world. That's when we peel back the cover. We peel back the curtain. We peel the onion. I don't know. Whatever. I'm crying. That's when we reveal the truth of creation. This is not just a hunk of metal. This is a catalyst for a global change, right? Resources. This is not just a piece of leather. This is a Torah scroll. Parchment, it's a Torah scroll. This is not just wool. It's a prayer shawl. That's what we do when we do a mitzvah. So Torah study is great for self. And it's necessary. And prayer is great for self and necessary. But doing a mitzvah, oh, doing a mitzvah is what we're here for. Doing a mitzvah is what the world is here for. God created a world that's where he's hidden. And our job is to reveal him. And how do we do that? There's no magic. There's no magic. Oh, hocus pocus, God, reveal yourself. No. It's when we use the world to serve God by doing a mitzvah that we declare publicly, this is not some disconnected world. This is God's world. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we use the world for a mitzvah, we are declaring by action, by our actions that the world is not disconnected from God, the world is God's, and God is in the world, and this too is divine, and I'm gonna use it for a mitzvah. That's what a mitzvah does, that's what a mitzvah is, that's what a mitzvah declares. So we have three pillars. Oh, you can't cut out a pillar, don't cut out a pillar. Listen, right, don't, don't do that. We know what happened when Samson knocked down some pillars. Remember that, when he was uh, cornered and he knocked down some pillars in the whole building? We need all three pillars. But, as the rabbi says, one pillar is not like the others. The pillar of mitzvot is specifically aligned with our purpose. And this is why our sages tell us that the greatest thing is action. The greatest thing is action. Take a look at text number 11. There was an incident in which Rabbi Taraphon and the elders were reclining in the loft of the house of Nitzah and Lod. Sounds like a nice afternoon. When this question was asked of them, is Torah study greater, or is action, performing mitzvot, greater? Which is greater, Talmud or Maiseh? Study or action? Rabbi Tarfin said, action is greater. Rabbi Akiva said, study is greater. And everyone answered and said, the majority said, Torah study is greater because Torah study leads to action. What a Jewish answer. Which one is right? Both. Torah study is great because it leads to action. So what's really the the main thing? What's really primary? Action. But in order to do action, we need to be inspired by Torah study. We need to know what to do and be inspired. Right? Which is what we do here at Torah studies. We study Torah to inspire us. The, 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 the thing that creates the change is doing the mitzvah. It's taking the money and showing, not by blogging about it, but by literally demonstrating it's not just money. It's a catalyst. It's a tool for spirituality. It's not just leather. It's a tool for spirituality, for godliness. We take the world and elevate it. We demonstrate the divine stamp on creation. And this fulfills in an incredible way our purpose here on earth. Take a look at how the Rebbe brings this all back together in text 12. The only one of the three collections mentioned explicitly in this parsha is the collection of materials for the tabernacle's construction which represent category three mitzvot because that's the most important thing. The other collections which represent Torah study and prayer are alluded in passing only because at their core, they are simply the groundwork that makes the construction and function of God's home possible. And you know exactly what the Rebbe is saying here, right? You know what the Rebbe is saying. When we read our Torah portion, if, if, if not for Rashi, if I would have asked you, so what were the Jewish people asked to, asked to donate? You would have said gold, silver, copper. What about the half a shekel? You would have said what half shekel? I don't see a half a shekel. Oh, it's only because of the three words of Truma that we learned that there were two other donations that are referenced elsewhere in Torah that also fit over here. But those are alluded to. The one donation that's clearly mentioned in Truma in this Torah portion is Category 3, the gold, the silver, the copper, corresponding to mitzvot. Because, as the Rebbe says, that is the tachlis, that is the tachlit, that is the purpose Ultimate purpose of creation is to make that transformation. Yes, you need the study, you need the prayer, but ultimately it's about the transformation that happens because of that. And so my friends, what we've learned, don't worry, I'm going to get back to Persia in a minute. Don't worry, I'm not leaving you hanging with the four kingdoms. I would never do that. Um, Sorry, folks, got to go. Just kidding. So what we've seen thus far is that there are three primary pillars Three modalities of service, and all three are necessary, but the third is the greatest. Why? Because the transformation is where it's at. And now we understand why the medrash, in text two, the perplexing medrash, compares the gold, the silver, the copper, and the red uh, rams, red dyed ramskins, to the four kingdoms. And we asked the four evil kingdoms, the four kingdoms of doom that destroyed the temple, why in the world would they be hinted or referenced in the building of the Mishkan? What in the world is going on? And here is the insight that will blow you away. As great as the Mishkan was, as great as the Temple 1 and Temple 2 were, as great as the holy edifices were, guess what? They did not fully fulfill God's intention and the purpose of transforming the entire world to be a home for God. You know why? Because they were localized buildings. They were centered in a place, in a specific geographical location, and it was not affecting the whole world. You know when the whole world began being affected? when the Babylonians came and exiled the Jewish people and kicked us out of Israel, with all of the pain and all the suffering and all the heartache and all of the fasts that we have and all of the mourning that we still mourn to this very day, with all of that, notwithstanding all the pain, the exile has given us the opportunity to spread out and to spread the light and to spread the transformation everywhere, to take the message of Yiddishkeit, the message of Judaism, and to bring it to all four corners of the world, like we have with Torah study and prayer that are essential, that are incredible, but act as, in a sense, a catalyst for the main event, which is world transformation. The Mishkan and the Temple were also Incredible and holy and beautiful, but only setting the stage for a global transformation that happens precisely when we disperse, when we expand our horizons and expand beyond the confines of the temple. I need to share with you. Let me see if I have a, um, you know what? I don't know that there's a text on this. Uh, yeah, there is. Hold on. Um, yeah, text 13. This is it. This is, brings it all together. I hope so far it's clear. This just should solidify what I just told you outside. Text 13, once again, the rabbi's incredible insight explaining this midrash. This explains the idea in the midrash that the gold, silver, etc., the tabernacle corresponds to the four kingdoms. The purpose of the donated materials was to build a home for God in this world. This is most fully accomplished not so much by building the physical tabernacle, a place of overt spirituality, but by our efforts during the exile, an era gripped by the physical trappings of the world. By our efforts to transform this degree of brute materialism to holiness, we uplift the most crass elements of the physical reality. And the Rebbe really focuses not on the global reach, of our efforts really, but about the transformation of utter darkness. And the Rebbe says to modify what I said before, although what I said before is also brought down in other sources, but to clarify what the Rebbe says here directly, it's in the times of the temple, there's so much light, you're not really transforming the real dark spaces. It's only in the times of exile, in a time of darkness, that you can transform the darkness to light. If it's light, you're not transforming it, it's already kind of bright. But when it's dark the transformation happens. God created this world for darkness to be transformed. When is it dark? It's dark right now. It's been 2,000 years of darkness. That's why the Midrash says that the donations of the temple allude to the destruction of the temple. In other words, the donation of the temple is all about creating this transformation. But when will it fully be realized? Specifically when? It's the lowest point when we don't have a temple. That's when we really build a temple when there is no temple. Does that make sense? Hope it's not too much of a a paradox. We truly build God's home on earth when we don't have God's temple, if you will, on earth. This is another way in which the Rebbe flips the script. I mean, this is such an innovative explanation, understanding, all based on classic Jewish ideas and Kabbalistic ideas. But the idea that this is the message of this midrash on our Torah portion, on our verses that speak about the construction and the midrash speaking about destruction, this is classic Labavitcher Rebbe's perspective on the whole notion of exile and destruction. We can look at it as you know, solely in, a, in a, negative, a negative place. And there's time for that. Tisha B'Av, we mourn and we fast, and there are other fast days also associated with this. And that's all true and correct. But there is a silver lining, and not just a silver lining, but there is a purpose to this. There is a lofty purpose to this. It's not not a mistake and not a disaster and not a, you know, a tragedy solely, although it is. But it's also the most incredible opportunity to create a home for God in the lowest spaces. So what's the message for us? Number one, we live in a time of exile. 2,000 years of this this Roman exile. There's a lot of darkness to transform, number one. Number two, getting back to the catalyst for this idea, and that is that Torah study, we need to study Torah. We need to find time to pray and connect emotionally and, and, and our character, refine our character to be closer to God. We can never forget that that, that our essential purpose is to make a difference in the physical world. And we do that in a large way when we utilize the physical stuff of the world as an offering to God. When we utilize the physical materials of this world to do a mitzvah. This is one of the greatest ideas and innovations of Kabbalah. Because typically spiritual paths will say, shun the physical. Right? Physical stuff gets in the way of spiritual connection. And Judaism says, hold my beer, but say a bracha first. Right? Judaism says, the physical gets in the way. Are you kidding me? The whole point is to utilize the physical for a higher purpose, thus making it transparent to its source. It's kind of like every time we use something in the physical world for a mitzvah, it's like we're making sure that God's signature on that item can be seen, right? Imagine an artist, Picasso, who has the little Picasso in the corner. I don't know if that's how he signed it, but I'm assuming he did, right? If he did, then let's, let's roll with it. So imagine it's been covered over, right? And you're the expert art rest, uh, restorator? Did I say that right? Yes, is that a word? For some reason in my head, it doesn't sound right. Restorator, you're the art restorator. Restorer, Restorer. there you go. Restorer, Restorer. That also works, right? Restoration done by a restorer. All right, that also works. So imagine you're the expert and you go and you know exactly how to, how to you know, peel off the dirt and the schmutz and not damage the painting. And you reveal, you reveal the signature and you reveal who is the creator, who is the creator of this art. That's us, that's us. And it only happens when we take the stuff of the world and hold it up and say, This too is divine. Study Torah, let's study Torah, let's pray, and let's do a lot of mitzvahs, and let's make a revolution. Let's create a world of good and a world of godliness. And may we see the fruits of our effort with a world that is pure, a world that is bright, a world that is beautiful, free of sickness, free of pain, free of suffering, and filled with love and peace and harmony let us say, amen. Thank you very much for joining me for Torah Studies. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're inspired by it. And I hope also, I guess fundamentally, that everything made sense. Thank you for joining. And I look forward to seeing you next week. I'll stay on. Thank you. I will stay on for... Thank, que- thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I will stay on for questions. If you have questions or comments, um, also do a few quick announcements. So if you want to stay on, A few quick announcements. Number one, this Monday night, join us for an incredible, gorgeous, um, holiday-themed, Purim holiday-themed jewelry workshop led by our very own Donna. The jewelry is at Chabad. It's in the Chabad safe. I'm kidding. It's in my office, but it's safe in my office, so I guess that works. Um, You can pick it up. There's plenty of time till Monday night. If you're not yet signed on to it, Join us, you're gonna love it. Where else will you get a boutique? Cra- you're gonna make it yourself. There's a live online workshop. We're gonna talk about the holiday. Where else are you gonna get? Where else in the world are you gonna find a necklace with a grogger built in? In an incredible, it's this It's beautiful. It's royal themed. It's it's um it is. Why am I forget? Amethyst st- color themed, right? Yes. Join us Monday night for that. Thursday night and Friday are the holiday of Purim. Next week, Thursday night and Friday, a week from tomorrow night is the holiday of Purim. Check the website. We have Megillah readings and opportunities to observe the holiday and to have fun in a safe way. Um, uh, Friday afternoon, for example, we do Megillah reading, and then you can take home a nice kit for Shabbat because it's going right into Shabbat with challah and, and soup, etc., and all those good... Challah, spoiler alert, in the shape of hamantashen. Ah, huh? you like that triangle-shaped challah? Pretty cool, if you ask me. All right, listen, Haman, you tried, but now we're gonna eat your hat. Usually, the bad guy says, "I'll eat my hat," but whatever. We've, it still works. Now that's all Purim. Then we have upcoming some more stuff. What do we have? We have oh, the Kabbalah of the future. This is unbelievable. Rabbi Usher Chris. we've never had him before. He is an incredible scholar, Kabbalist, uh, scientist, and futurist. He's going to be speaking about things that are like the stuff of science fiction fantasies, but how there's a Kabbalistic basis for these wild ideas. For example, time travel and teleportation and the idea of reversing aging. Kabbalistic ideas, underpinnings. I wish I could tell you more, but honestly, I don't exactly know what he's going to speak about but I do know that he is a gifted scholar and a gifted speaker, and you don't want to miss it. Also upcoming, we have um, David's mom is going to speak to us next month, uh, March 15th. It's a Sunday night sharing her story of survival. Um, She's a Holocaust survivor. She has an incredible story, uplifting, powerful story about choosing life and hope um, over despair and over pain. Join us. The event is called Faith and Fortitude, Sunday, March 15th. You do not want to miss this historic event. And finally, we have an art program, which has just... Oh, I don't know if it's on our website yet. Ooh, you can't find this yet. All right. So we have a, um, an art program. Think Bob Ross, but a Jewish Bob Ross. And he's a she. Or yeah it's not Bob Ross her name is Tanya and she is from Toronto and she is an incredible artist and an art instructor she will guide you even if you have no artistic artistic experience before and I'm gonna be doing this as well she will guide you to create your own Jewish themed masterpiece it is gorgeous I don't want to reveal the actual um, painting that we're gonna draw that we're gonna paint together it is gorgeous you're going to want to hang it up in your home. It is beautiful. You get everything. You get a canvas, all the paint, the brushes, the smock, the little cups, the thi- whatever. You get everything in the kit, sign up, and you're in. You do it from the comfort of your home, the safety of your home. We all paint together. You are going to love it. Um, I don't know if there's anything else. I know there's other things, but I don't know if there's anything else that I forgot. Oh, book club. What is it?
3: Oh, I just wanted to ask about the sure. painting. So yes. I have canvases and paints, you know, of my own, and I really would like to participate. I mean, I, obviously, she's not going to be able to get the paints and cups and everything to me.
0: So so here, so you just reminded me of what I want to do, and that is I'm going to have two, thank you for, for mentioning that, because now I have a different way to do it. I'm going to have two different... Um, fees or whatever one is for the workshop and one is for the art kit so if you have your own stuff or if you're out of town you can hey ellie solish jump on in and go say hi hey oh all right ellie solish first grader right yep he's rocking it so um yes i'll create instead of having one price i'll do two different things one for the workshop and one for the, for the art supply. And that way, if anybody has their own stuff at home and they just want to join, you know, just the actual instruction, you can just join for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, book club this Sunday, Jewish book club. By the way, if you're not on the Jewish book club list, you totally want to get on that. We do it once a month. We got great Jewish books. Like, really great Jewish books. Discussion led by um, Ariella Rich. She's a, a, a member of the, of the community. She's great. She's a great book club leader. What else? I think that might... There's more stuff, but for now, that's it. All right. What else? What else do we got? Jump in. Questions, comments. What's the book for Sunday? Now you're asking the good questions. What is the book for Sunday? Adina Malka has it. It's called The Two Family House. It's a story about Brooklyn in the, 19, or in the uh, 1940s, correct? Yes, 1940s Brooklyn, about family living, relatives living, uh, two brothers and their families living in a duplex on top of each other. Which neighborhood in in Brooklyn is it? Do we know which neighborhood in Brooklyn? We don't remember. My grandfather, who's on with us, grew up in Brownsville. Right? Right, Zaidi? Brownsville in Brooklyn. Yes. There you go. Brooklyn Brooklyn raised. Right here. All right. Good. Questions, comments, anything on the class or otherwise? Jump in. So, Purim, do you need a minion to
1: read the Megillah?
0: You do not need a minion to read the Megillah. No, it does not need to be a public reading. Unlike the Torah reading, which we do in public, Megillah could be... Just one person reading for themselves or for another person. Yeah, Megillah does not need a minion. Excellent question, by the way, because it's different than, than other. It's, it, it's, um, it's a book of scripture, but it's not, it's not the five books. So you can read it just, um, just one. So we're going to be doing a few readings on Friday. So the, you know what? Let me just mention this. There are, mitzvot, there are four mitzvot on Purim. Mitzvah number one is to hear the Megillah twice. So it's gonna be Thursday night and Friday, Friday day. Right, so we have, we're gonna have a morning minion, an afternoon minion, a, a night minion. so there's multiple opportunities to get that. So mitzvah number one is Megillah. Mitzvah number two is have a festive meal on the day of Purim. Mitzvah three is to give tzedakah, right? And mitzvah to give tzedakah to at least two needy individuals. And mitzvah number four is to give gifts of food, um, to at least two gifts of food, to one person. So that is, those are the four mitzvot of Purim, and it's, uh, it's kedai, it's worthwhile to make sure that you are set to do the mitzvot. If anybody is looking for ways to do the mitzvot, they can direct their questions to one man named Eli Solish who will help, right? Are you going to help? possibly. Anyway, no, if you have questions about it, I can certainly let you know. But check the Chabadon website. You'll find the Megillah reading times and all that stuff. And as far as the meal, make sure to eat something. If you're not joining us or, or anybody else, make sure to have you know a su'udah. Oh, hey, you. Have a su'udah feast on, on Purim Day. And then, of course, don't forget to give tzedakah. Um, specifically, by the way, I should mention, specifically to needy individuals. So the rest of the year, we give both to individuals and also to um, charitable organizations on the day of Purim, it's not the focus, the specific mitzvah is needy individuals and not necessarily organizations, although certainly you give to organizations also, but specifically to, to needy individuals and again, there are funds run by organizations that will direct it on Purim day to those causes. If you want a, websites, I can, I can let you know or you can Google them or whatever it is or maybe there's some locals, are you yawning? Or just, yeah. oh, okay, because it's a long yawn. Um, guys, come in for a group photo. Cheese. Okay. Um, so that is that. And then, of course, Mishlach Mano. Give some food. Safely. Donna, yes, Donna. Yeah.
1: In the jewelry kit, I include a gift tag for Mishlach Mano, so you can make your own Mishlach Mano.
0: Yes. Yes. In the, in, the, in, the Purim, in the Purim gift bag or oh, kit. Jewelry. There is a tag for your Mishloch Mano that you can use when giving the gifts of food to another. So the mitzvah is two gifts of food, two different types of food, to at least one person. But of course, the more the merrier. More foods, more people. Yes, Ray?
2: Is Mithila going to be on Zoom
0: by any chance? Okay, so that's a really good question. And it's the subject of some debate. Oh. So most halakhic authorities that I have heard from have said that we should not be doing it over Zoom unless it's extenuating circumstances, in which case there's a possibility. But ideally, it is in person. I'm just telling you, oh, that's a yawn. That's a legit yawn. (laughs) <laughs> no, wait, got can you. I yes. ask a
3: question about the about the Torah study tonight? Sure, yeah, absolutely. So, so I understand, you know, I, I understand the the um, the Medrash about the gold, silver, and copper, and uh, and representative uh, representing Babylon, Persia, and Rome. And I understand turning, you know, the darkest of dark. M- you know, incidences and into light and all of the good that come came from, um, you know, the diaspora and so forth as a result of the destruction of the temples. But it's a really, it's a real stretch, you know, to, to embrace the kinds of massacres and, you know, just awfulness right. that occurred during those periods, you know, as necessary right. in order for us to to be, you know, doing the good that we need to do in the world. You're
0: you're asking an incredible question. I don't have an answer to that question. Yeah, I didn't I, I don't have an answer to the question. You're asking, I mean, are we are we suggesting that it was all worth it? Because this is how we have to get this job done and the only way was this way. I, 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 I didn't say it that, I'm, I, I don't, you're not asking it that way, but I'm just speaking it out, just putting it on the right. table. We're not going that far to say that. What we are saying is the aftermath of where we are, in other words, after all is said and done, that's why we mourn. That's why these are the saddest days on the calendar. That's why Tisha B'av is the saddest day on the Jewish calendar, and it's a day of fasting and a day of mourning. And we have another few fast days, like the 10th of Tevet, Etc. that also mourn those moments. And we have a fast of Esther that's coming up next week on Thursday. Right, next week, I should mention, Thursday is a tainat Esther. From morning until, from sunrise to sunset is a fast this, sorry, not tomorrow, a week from Thursday, right, the day before Purim. We break the fast after the Megillah reading with hamantaschen and whatever it is that we're eating. One second. Right, we break the fast, then why do we fast? Because Esther fasted. Why? Because of this decree. In other words, we fast. It's legit, it's legit painful. So we're not saying it's worth it or whatever. We're saying it happened. Now that this is where we are, there's an opportunity that could not have come any other way. Would, are we asking for it? Are we happy about it? We're not going that far. So the question, how do we reconcile the, 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 the silver lining, if you will, with a dark cloud, I, I, I don't know that I can answer that. And, and I don't think anyone can answer that. But as we are where we are, there is an opportunity here that we just mm. didn't have in the times of the temple. Hold on, wait, wait, you're still, you're muted. Yeah,
3: so, so but the rush you know, clearly because it, I mean, you know, the rush was post-destruction of both temples. So so I think that explains the rush because, you know, it's not as if as if Hashem, you know, uh, decreed that these were going, these things were going to happen and this is why we collected gold, silver, and copper, as much as it is that post-destruction of both temples, you know, the midrashim are are rabbinic. So so this definitely came post-destruction as a way to turn what did
0: happen. Right. It's framing. Right. It's framing. Which, by the way, we know psychologically it's healthier to frame than not to frame. Right? If we had a choice, we all want to frame. Right? So, oh, you can give me five if I'm framing. Yeah. I'm ready to frame, but you can always give me five when I'm framing. Right? So, yeah. Exactly. The Imagine saying, this is where we're at. This is what we've been through. And you know what? Let's connect this now with the building of the Mishkan. And as the Rebbe says, what's the connection? Building and destruction? Because as much as was built then, we can build even more now, not that we want it, not that it makes it better, not that it makes it worthwhile, but there's an opportunity that we can do now that we could not have done before.
3: <laughs> and, and that angle is the perfect culmination of a lovely tour of studies.
0: Perfect. <laughs> yes, you can. Oh, you know what? Bring the hamantaschen box. So, folks, I have to share an announcement. You ready? so on occasion not always on occasion i go to a store called costco you guys know costco yeah? yeah all right costco is i mean they have it's 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 kind of incredible what they've done what they've done with the place they have a lot of stuff so right now tonight i went can I, I, got
1: can I pick up a
0: yeah for sure you can pick up a hamantaschen you, okay. you don't to. Do, you didn't know to pick it up for display so we bought a massive tub of oh, hamantashen. I don't know if you can see how large this is. This is like 12 times the size of a normal box of how, hamantashen. How much?
1: How much are, I, don't, yeah. I don't know how a many things.
0: No, we'll have a contest. You guys guess how many, and whoever wins 30. gets a free Torah study session next week. 30. Oh, wait. Um, what? 30? 30? I don't know. Again, I don't know how many it is. But, Hadar hamantashen, Pasi mm. Straw, mm. super super kosher. But I'll also tell you something else. You ready for this? Costco has... Listen, this is not a Costco commercial. I don't, I'm not getting paid. They're not a sponsor yet. Maybe they'll be listening. What do you want?
1: I want a whole
0: hand. You want to hold my hand there? Okay, we can do that. I like that also. So, look, I'm not, Costco's not a sponsor, but I will tell you that they have, like, great chalavishol, like, super-duper kosher <laughs> cheeses and, and other stuff. They have, um, what do they have? They have, that, they not, have oh, that. they have now, they have now mm-hmm. Shmura Matzah. Handmade round box shmur matzah, legit Chabad shmur matzah. Even though it's not branded as Chabad, it's called Jerusalem matzah. The Jerusalem matzah is coming from Chabad sources and it is legitimately legit and it's super super inexpensive. The handmade box, I'm not trying to take away business from anyone else, it's $15 a box for the handmade stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's legit. And I heard their stuff is the high-quality stuff. It actually plays in the phonograph. Yeah. it'll. No, come on, guys. Come on, everybody. Of course not. It's going to scratch your needle. Do not tra- No, no, no. It's going to say, walk like an Egyptian. So, no, do not play your matzah. Do not play around with your matzah. It is a holy item. Whoa, okay, all right. Folks, Riva's is, is tapping I'll be, out. Sorry?
3: I'll be, I'll be stunned if the Costco in Augusta, Maine has kosher cheeses <laughs> and more matzah.
0: You know what, I don't know about the cheese, but try the matzah, it's worth a shot. You can even call them. Call them, ask them, it's... I, it's that's like the only Costco in the whole city. Hey, try it. It's the, if it's the Maine Costco, you gotta, gotta give it give it a go. And that could be a really cool. We got a lot of cool, juicy stuff. I got like sparkling Kedem grape juice, you know, for all those festive occasions when the, 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 the flat stuff will not cut it. <laughs> right? You, you know what I'm talking about, guys. Right? You're like, the flat Kedem grape juice, ah, let's get some carbonation. Yes? So,
1: can I have like a bite? Not like all the jelly, like at
0: this So, my kids don't like the jelly? So they eat around it? It's just a thing. Yeah, you can... So she's asking, yes, you can eat around... Because I'm the, not
1: eating with
0: jelly. Uh, that's fine. I know. All right, there you go. It's fine. We'll find, we'll find what to do with it. I happen to know somebody that doesn't mind the jelly, if you know what I mean. All right, friends, it's been real, and it's been real fun, and I hope you... You need more glitter.
1: Yes, I do. All right. need more Nope.
0: Are you noping me? No. (laughs) All right. Good. All right, folks. It is great to see you all. It's great to connect. Tomorrow, we have classes. Tomorrow night, we have Tanya and the party rolls on. All right. We'll see you all. Have a wonderful evening. Lila Tov. Shabbat shalom. Take care, everybody. To good health.
2: Thank
1: you. Bye. See you all.